Book Four, Chapter One, Part One, of Precious Bane by Mary Webb. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. Harvest Home, Part One. Never in all my days did I see a corn harvest like that one. We started swiving, that is, reaping, at the beginning of August month, and we left the stook standing in the field till it should be time for the love carriage, for the weather was so fine that they took no harm. It was the custom, if a farmer hadn't much strength about him, that he should fix on a day for the neighbours to come and give a hand in the lugging of the grain. But up to that time, the weather being so good, we worked alone. It was up in the morning early, and no mistake. Such mornings as they were, too, with a strong heady sweetness in the air from the ripened corn, and the sun coming up stately as a swan into the vasty sky that had no cloud. Mother was very peart and lively what with the hot weather which was good for the rheumatics and the thought of the easing off of the work which was to come when the harvest was gotten in she'd be up and about at five getting us our breakfast and then off we'd go with only just enough of clothes on to be decent and with our wooden harvest bottles full of small beer we always had a brewing for the rap that is the reaping this year we brewed a deal more, for there'd be all the neighbours to find in victuals and drink at the love carriage. Looking back, it always seemed to me that there was a kind of dwelling charm on all that time. Gideon was more contented than I've ever seen him, for there were two things that contented him, namely, to work till he dropped, and to finish what he set out to do. To see all his farm set with these rich stooks, sound and ripe with never a sign of the weevil nor of mildew nor the smut was very life to him he was all of a fever to get it safe in stack but we were bound to wait till the day fixed jansus was to come on that day to help in the leasing and it seemed to me as she ought to go atop of the last load with blossoms about her like the image they were used to set up there for she seemed a part of the harvest with all that pink and gold as for me i went all dazed and dumb in wonder to think it was true the maester become to think as he'd looked at me and hadna hated me to think as all the time we spent in the midst of the painted dragonflies by the mere was true as true as daily bread when I called to mind the things he'd said, and still more the things he'd looked, I was like to swooned. Dear to goodness how I did sing those early dawns, when the dews lay heavy after a catch of frost, and the corn rustled and stirred in the wind of morning. When we went out, the leaves of the late-blooming white clover would be folded tight, and the shepherd's hourglass shut. I'd watch them in the minutes I took for rest, opening soft and slow, like timid hearts. Then mother would come with our nooning, creeping over the fields in her black, like a little sad-coloured bird, and sometimes singing Barley Bridge in her old, small voice, that yet was sweet. 
Then, after the noon spell, through the long blazing evening, for with us all the time after noon is called evening, I'd watch the shepherd's hourglass shutting up again, and the white clover leaves folding as the dews came. We took turns to go home and milk. Then we'd have our tea in the field and at it again. All the while I thought of Castor, as would soon be working at the coloured weaving in the great city. But when my heart said he was working for me as well as himself, I hushed it, saying that it was but his flaming look that made me think it, for he hadna said it. And so it was only that the wish fathered the thought. But I did dream of the fifty pounds I was to have, a great fortune, it seemed and I did plan how I'd get to be cured as quick as might be. So when Kester came back after his time away, I'd stand afore him with as proper a face as even Felina, though I hoped not so forward. At last the day of the love carriage came, and a tremendous blue day it was, with a sky like a dark bowl, Worcester china colour. We'd got fifty people coming, no less, counting the womenfolk. I was up afore dawn getting all ready, setting the china, both ours and what we'd borrowed, on the trestles in the orchard, helping Gideon to put the casks of beer in the yard ready for the men to fill their harvest bottles, and fetching water from the well for the tea. The orchard was a sight to see when the trestles were set out, for I could put all ready with no fear of rain on such a day. With the mugs and platters of many colours, and the brown quartan loaves, and the big pats of butter stamped with a swan, and the slabs of honeycomb, dough-cakes, gingerbread, cheese, jam, and jelly, let alone the ham at one end of each trestle, and the round of beef at the other. Even Gideon didn't begrudge the food on this day, for it was one of the laws you couldna break, that at a love carriage everybody must have his belly full. It was very early when the wagons began to roll into the fold, with a solemn gladsome sound, and each with its own pair of horses or oxen. Each farmer brought his own men in his own wagon, and sometimes he brought two. The teams were decked out with ribbons and flowers, and some had a motto as well, such as, Luck to our day, or God bless the corn. It was a fine thing to see the big horses, with great manes on their fetlocks, groomed till they shone like satin, stepping along as proud as Lucifer, knowing very well how long the wagoner had been a-plaiting their ribbons. The oxen were good to see also, for their horns were all bedecked, and about their necks were thick chains of sweet William and Traveller's Joy and Corn. Miller came among the first, with his gig and the old coach-horse, the best he had, poor man, and very good work they did, too, for it's surprising what a deal you can get onto a gig if you put a set of wings on top. It was time for me to go and give the folks welcome, so I got Miller's Tim to mind the trestles, and left him with a big meat patty sitting at the top of one of the tables, with half the patty in one cheek ready to drive away birds and cats and dogs, and even goblins out of fairyland after the patty. The ox-driver from Plash had dizened his beast up proper, with bulrushes nodding on their horns, 
and there were Suki and Mol each riding one. Their mother wasn't coming till late, and they were wild as mountain finches. Then came Felina, riding the shepherd's rough pony with the panniers to put her leasings in. When I saw those green eyes of hers shining like jewels in her brown face, all flushed with summer, and the long slim shoulders of her, and that red mouth, I almost hoped Castor would forget to come after all. Mrs. Beguiledy and Jancis came, but Beguiledy wouldna. The cousin from Lullingford that got the toothache so bad came, and his missus. Then there were the Callards, all packed in a great harvest wain, and a net over the five children, so that they looked for all the world like little calves on the way to market. Grandfather Callard sat by his son, dressed out in his best snuff-coloured coat and his beaver hat, for all it was so hot. There was a posy in his hat, which he waved like a lad as they came creaking in at the fold gate, shouting, Haroost! Haroost! Never was such god a mighty weather! He always said Haroost, it being the old way of saying harvest. Then came Sexton, tall and black, a bit sour, but the best man of his age with a pikel anywhere round. Mrs. Sexton had a vast apron of blue gingham, with pockets for leasing, and it made her look bigger than ever. It did seem a blasphemy to speak of her leasing, as if Solomon in all his glory had put on an apron and gathered up the ears. Tivy was dressed out very grand, as often was the way of girls at such do's as this, for a do was a thing that came but seldom, and where else but church where all the bonnets was swallowed by the pew, could you show your gown with the flounces, or your gown that was cut low? Tibby had a straw bonnet with quilled muslin under, a sprigged gown cut low with a rose at the breast, white stockings and new black sandal shoes. Jancis was pretty past telling in her blue poplin and a sunbonnet and Suki and Mole had tight frocks of white cotton with red roses sprinkled on them. The Callard children ran about like a clutch of chickens when you empty em out of the basket, but Millie's Tim was as mim as a mute, feeling so grand to be trusted with all the feast to mind. Mrs. Miller and Polly, I may say, came first of all, and there was Miller's man as well, and Sexton's Sammy, a queer long lad like an eel, with twice as many teeth as he wanted, and a power of texts in his head that'd fly out at you on any excuse, and hit you like a startleby buzzwill on a summer evening. It seemed as if all the texts his dad had ever read had lodged in his big head, and so he'd always got one pat. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send down labourers into his harvest, he says. But the publican from the Magosida, whose missus was looking after the bar so he could come, Gideon being like to be a good customer in the future, catched him up very quick. Dunna begin the prayers till I've had a court, lad, he says, for they might be answered, you being sexton's lad, and I'm welly parched. The men gathered together by the beer-barrels, and as more came, they went and got their beer. Towler came, the shepherd, 
Felina's maester, a tall brown man, all bones, striding with his long kibber, which is a stick of six foot or so, to walk with, held about the middle. Well, shepherd, pipes up Grandfay the callard, han you seed the sun dance yet, Easter morning on thy mountain? Shepherd took no notice, for being with the dumb sheep so much, he was pretty near as silent as the miller, though not quite, for nobody could be. But the father of Mol and Suki said, Nay, but tis his missus sees the moon dance, midsummer, as we know well. When she dances with the devil, screeched Suki. And not the devil only, says Mrs. Sexton. Felina didn't seem to care. She was standing by me, and she whispered that she'd liefer dance, whoever it was with, and be jimp and supple, than be as stiff as a tombstone like Mrs. Sexton. She brought him up in the highest place of Baal. Numbers 22, said Sammy. And after that there didn't seem anything more to say about it. Gideon came up to settle each man's work and he looked right well in his nice clean smock well broidered with the sleeves rolled up to show his great arms and a pikel over shoulder now gaffer pipes up old callard what be ye going to give i to do you shall go atop of the wagon i sarve says saxton if ye promise to take as quick as i chuck there was a laugh for nobody ever liked the job of settling the sheaves sexton heaved he being the quickest heaver anywhere round and never tiring oh says the mugger cider we'll put you on the leader of the foremost wagon for a lucky image one of we lads you can holler haw whoop and jiggin and be a sight more use than any of us the old man took this as a great compliment and naught would do but his son must help him up there and then well, lads, says Gideon, we'd best be shifting if we're to bring the harvest home this day. Haroost, haroost, calls out old Callard. How whop? Obedient to the word, the lead horse went forward, and all the wagons and carts moved slow past the house. Mother stood on the door-sill, nodding and smiling and saying, Thank you for us, I'm sure. My son San'll be obliged to ye. So we went out under the blue sky to lug home the corn, the big wagons with solid wheels rolling over the stubble. Grandfather Callard shouting jiggin, when he meant ha-whoop, being quite tipsy with enjoyment, and causing a great confusion, the horses not knowing what to do. The rest of us followed on, strung out over the fields in bright colours, children and dogs running hither and thither, while in the rickyard the men told off to make the stacks, put the logs in place ready for the stacks to be built on, got all prepared against the first wagon came back loaded high with grain, and then stood leaning on their pikels, talking over the work of the coming day, each man as busy about the planning of it all as if the harvest was hisn, and each man as glad of the grain as if he was to have the selling of it for that was the manner of the love-carriages in times past. In the noon spell I went up to the high pasture to see if there was any sign of Castor. He was coming across the far meadows by a field path, 
and I stayed so long watching him, who was all the world to me, that they'd started work again afore I went back. It was a pretty thing to see in such a place on such a day. The farm being all under corn now, it looked like a boss of gold in the dark woods and meadows around, and all the bright colours of the women's gowns, the creamy smocks, and the two three coloured shirts of the men, the shining horses and deep coloured oxen, the yellow stooks with blue shadows under, the towering yellow loads on the wains, made up such a picture as you wanna often see in a lifetime, anyway in these days. It was merry to hear also, the voices rang so sweet in the thin, still air. I could hear old Callard's ho-whoop and jigging and the other men's shouts, and Jancers laughing out high and sweet at summat Gideon did say, and the children crying out, Mother, I've got two pennies full now. Ma'am, I've found six years together. From the rickyard came the far calls of the rickmasters, and times a pigeon cooed in the deep woods, where the mere lay like glass, and times a jay would scold, or a woodpecker laugh out. Never a cloud was in the sky, nor any hint of trouble in the little airs that stirred in the leafy hedges. And there, two fields off, one field off, and now in the same field, was the man I could never think about but in those words, the maester be come. From a long way off he saw me, and waved his hat, so that the well-shapen head I did love was bare with the dark hair just so upon it that you must long to stroke it. I came down from the high pasture and stood beside Gideon's wagon, knowing that Kester would come to get his orders from the maester of the day. There was some chaff, Kester being so late. Weavers forgot the day and come to-morrow instead. Dunna be so forrard, Weaver. Come on plough Monday. He been late, but he been full of power and might and young blood, said old Callard, for nobody of that family would ever hear a word against Castor. The last shall be first, and the first last. Matthew 20, says Sammy. Luck to the day, gaffer, Castor called to Gideon. And thank you kind for coming, answers Gideon. What be I to do? Ever done any harvesting? Ah, can ye pitch? Ah, well then, you take my place a bit while I go the rounds, Oot. Sexton's t'other side from you, and he's a terrible quick pitcher. But you canna be too quick for young Callard and Towler. But mind not to push Pikel too far when the load below, called old Callard, for I mind once a fellow did that, and he stuck it right into the chap atop. Ah, like a piece of toast on the toasting fork he was, poor fellow, and he hollered so that the team bolted, Oot the pikel still in him. But Kester did very well and made toast of none. His eyes would laugh at me now and again, and once, when the empty wagon tarried, he came where I was leasing and said, You still go from it me a bit, I see, Prusan. It mun be towards, not from it. I put the ears this way and that, but no words came. Then he said, slow, with a laugh at the back of his voice, but with a cosseting sound as well, There, there, my dear, none shall touch you now. 
all the strong life of the man was gathered in his eyes and blazing full on me so he'd heard folk do sometimes when they seem nigh dead he'd heard and remembered the words i'd said when his head was on my bosom and my heart was all rent with love what could i say Not. where could i hide my burning face that his eyes did so dwell on nowhere at all hi weaver they called wagon be come and we be hindered for ye i never knew a mother's love nor yet a sister's nor yet a sweetheart's he said it ever so softly but desperate earnest so that the words burnt in but if i had i should have forgot them all three when you said those words to me bruce on with that he turned sharp and went back to the wagon end of book four chapter one part one